So we're going to be continuing in a series that we started over the last couple of weeks, a series that we've called Win the Day. And friends, what we've been digging into is the reality that God really does want you and I to win the day. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe what the scriptures declare, that he came to give us a new life, right? An abundant life, right? A life that holds hope and a future that has great promise. But how many of you know that tomorrow has to start today? Tomorrow has to start today. Everybody wants tomorrow. Everybody wants what tomorrow promises. We all have goals. We all have desires. We all are holding on to some sense of, of, of aspiration. And many of us here, whether you're here or you're online, you're looking to the scriptures and you're holding on with hope that goes beyond your circumstances today. But to get to tomorrow, you have to first get through today. That's right. And thus, friends, we have to win the day. Every day. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 15, puts it this way. It says, so be very what? Careful. careful. We should be very careful how we live. Why? Not being like those with no understanding. But we're to live honorably with true wisdom, the scripture says. For we are living in evil times. How many of you know that that's really true today? Right? The times are getting harder. The enemy is running rampant. Things are getting tighter. You know, there's, there's, there's all these things going on that challenge our faith, that challenge our hope in Jesus. And more and more people want nothing to do with Christ. But watch what the scripture says, therefore. In the midst of that, it says, take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for his purposes. Let me ask you a question as we get started here. How are you spending your life? How are you spending it? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with today, every day? Friends, that's an important question because it matters. It doesn't just matter to you. It doesn't just matter for your future. Listen, this comes from God's holy word. It matters to God. Amen. It's important to God what we do with our lives. We have to get to this point where we understand that life is a trust that has been placed in our hands. It's not ours. And thus, we have to steward it correctly. We have to be careful how we live. We have to uh, walk with understanding. And so today I want to talk to you on the topic of the power to press on. Say that with me. Power, power. to press on. Let me tell you why we're going to talk about that. Why I feel the Lord is leading us in this direction today? Because everybody wants tomorrow, but oftentimes we forsake today because we don't know how to deal with the pressures of today. We don't know how to deal with the pressures of today. Listen, God truly has great things in store for us, but the truth is that pressures will come in the face of that, right? The Apostle Paul was a man who knew something about winning the day. This man was a man who loved God. He lived carefully. He maintained an understanding of God's wisdom. He sought God's wisdom in what he was doing. He didn't have it all together, but he continually pursued the wisdom of God. And thus, the scriptures reveal, if you study his life, that he was a man that took advantage of every day. How? By making the most of it. By making the most of every day. And thus, he invested himself into God's purposes. He spent his life wisely. 
He made life investments by pursuing the purposes that God had for him, and thus it made a difference. But if you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and we're going to dig into his life just a little bit, what you'll find is that while his life made a huge difference and he was living to the max and he was winning the day every day, that did not come easy. As a matter of fact, it came with great pressure. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, gives us an indication of what he was going through. It says, not that I have already obtained all this, not that I have arrived, not that I have it together, not that I don't still face pressures, or have already arrived at my goal, but watch this, but I press on to take hold, to take hold. Go ahead and tell somebody, take hold. hold. Tell somebody else, take hold. Tell three people you didn't come with, press on. Listen, we got to press on. Yeah, that's right, online. We got to press on. Take hold. So watch what the scripture says. Not that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. I want you to notice that to take hold of anything that God has for you, it requires pressure. You have to press. We have to press, right? And so, what are you pressing towards? What are you pressing towards? Because you see, what we're pressing toward, what God has for us does not come without some form of pressure or things pressing against us. Right? See, I know that for some of us, we get all excited about what the scripture said, but here's the reality that the promise that tomorrow holds always produces pressure today. Let me say that again. The promise that tomorrow holds always produces pressure today. Jesus said this. He says, hey guys, relax. Take my peace. But then he says, in this life, you're going to have tribulations. In what life? The life that I've given you. He says, you're going to face troubles. But rejoice, I have overcome. And so you see, pressure is a guarantee. And I know that the scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. But friend, here's the reality. That hell is not just going to sit back and watch you receive it. Here's the reality. That people are not just going to stand back and watch you walk in the blessing of God. Pressure is going to come. Let me put it to you this way. You can count on pressure. You can count on pressure. You can count on pressure. Here's the reality, friends, that this walk of faith is not for the faint-hearted. It's not. It requires something. It requires a desire, a willingness, a determination to press on. And so thus, we have to look to the Lord. We have to consider the scriptures and see what we can glean in this regard so that we can not only face pressures, but that we can press through them and press on forward. Amen? And so the Apostle Paul, as I said, was a man who knew how to win the day. Paul was a man who lived with a God-given vision. He lived with purpose. We can all do that, friends, if we would just lean in to God, if we would just lean into the truth that the scriptures revealed, we would just really make a decision to pursue God. We would begin to get a hold, get a whiff, get a vision for what life with purpose looks like. 
right? And so we all can do what Paul was doing. But you see, eventually, Paul's life, Paul's determination led him to a place called Macedonia. It's what today would be considered Southeast Europe, the northern part of Greece. And Paul arrives there, and this was a place that knew nothing about Christ. And so one day, while Paul was there, he arrived with Silas, and he was heading to a Jewish temple, right? And he was going there because it was a practice of, of these people to worship and to pray at certain times. So Paul's going there with his, with his partner, a guy named Silas, and they're going to this temple to pray and to worship. Right? And as they're walking there, the scripture says that a slave girl, right, a slave girl who was demon-possessed began to cry out, listen to these men, because they point you to the one who, is, who, who, will give, who will bring to you salvation, the Son of God. It sounds like this was a good thing. But if you look at the tense and you look at the Greek language here, what you'll find is that she was actually mocking them. She was saying in a mocking, she was saying it in a mocking fashion. And so one day, the Apostle Paul, after many days of this, had had enough. And he turns to her and he delivers her from this demon possession. Now, this posed a problem. You would think, no, how, how could that pose a problem? You see, by this, by this demon possession, this, uh, this slave girl had the ability to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, she was a diviner. And so basically, she would propose to people, she would enlighten people to what they thought was their fortune. Right? It was satanic in nature. And so when Paul delivered this young woman from this demon possession, that posed a problem because these slave owners started to lose a lot of money. So watch what these guys do. They gather these, they, they grab Paul and Silas, right? They bring them to the town square in the middle of this city. And they begin to cry out, and the, and the crowds are all there, and they all begin to amass so, so much so that the scripture says that the, practically the entire city comes out into this square. And they say, these men teach things that are uncommon to our traditions. In other words, they're teaching things that go against our beliefs of our gods. And so the scripture says that the crowd and these men strip them naked, beat them, and then after they beat them, they turned them into the, to the jailer. How many of you would agree that was a high-pressure situation? It was a high-pressure situation. I want you to consider, how would you deal with that high-pressure situation? Right? Would you be picking up the phone and saying, I have rights! I need a lawyer! I'm entitled to a call! Right? Would you shout at the top of your lungs? Would you fight back? Right? Would you defend yourself? Right? Would you stand up for yourself? Well, let's see what this instance teaches us from the life of the Apostle Paul and Silas in regards to dealing with this high-pressure situation and how we can press on. Starting in Acts chapter 6, verse 24, it says, So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. I want to pause right there for a moment because we got to understand what this is actually saying. This was not an ordinary jail. Notice that the scripture says it was the inner dungeon. And in, 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 this is a Roman-style jail. So there was the jail itself, and then the inner jail was below 
the jail. And this was a place that was reserved for people that were going to be sentenced to death. This was a place of torture. This wasn't just we're throwing you in a cell. Notice that the scripture says that they had clamps on their feet. You know what, what they actually used to do in these jails, in these inner dungeons, these places of torture? They would strap you hands, feet, right? And they would stretch you. And they would beat you. And they would torture you, right? And so Paul and Silas are in this situation. And it says that around midnight, watch this, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're praying and they're worshiping. And as they're praying and worshiping, the scripture clearly tells us that the other prisoners were listening. Now, who are these other prisoners? Let's consider who might have been in their vicinity. People that were in a same situation, facing death, being tortured. Now, if I were one of them, I'd be saying, what is wrong with these guys? Who praises God for this situation? I wouldn't worship God in the middle of this situation. Why are they doing that? These guys are crazy. And so they're listening. Verse 26 says that suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundation, so much so that all the doors were immediately, they immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. <laughs> right? It goes on to say in verse 27 that the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed that the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Why would he do that? Because in Roman Greco culture, if you were the jailer, you were responsible to make sure they stayed in jail. And if they escaped, you were deemed guilty and therefore you lost your life. So this guy thought he was going to get killed. The scripture goes on to say that Paul shouted to him and said, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. We're not going anywhere. And the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And watch what happens. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must... I do to be saved. Now, what could have led this man to the point where he said, I need to know this God that you serve. How can I be saved? I submit to you, friends, that it was because of the manner in which Paul and Silas faced the pressure and pressed on that it opened the door for God to do something powerfully in them, for them, but also through them. And that's important. You know why, friends? Because oftentimes we fail to realize that the way we respond to pressure isn't just about us. It's about what God wants to do in us and through us. Amen? Amen. And so this is a great example on winning the day. Right? Paul and Silas pressed on beyond the pressure that was press, pressing upon them. But there's a reason why. See, the fact that they were Praying and worshiping indicates something. These guys had an eye on something greater than what was happening in the moment. They were looking ahead to something more. They had an eye on tomorrow. While they were stripped, while they were beaten, while they were tortured, no matter what was coming on around them, in the face of pressure and pain, they prayed and worshiped. And this resulted in a great move of God on their behalf and on something that God wanted to do in the life of other people. 
What's interesting is that we should consider this, that when you choose to press, no matter the pressure, what's meant to break you will instead help you break through. Can I, can I give you some good news, friends? It's time to face the pressures. It's time to push back on the things that press you. Why? Because as we press forward, as we apply greater pressure to that which is pressing upon us, friends, it leads to our breakthrough. Yes, it does. We have to face it. Would you agree? Yes. Amen. So, for the next couple of moments that I have, I want to give you some practical things to consider. Listen, we have to reflect on the truth in God's word. We have to consider where we actually are in this regard. I would encourage you to ask yourself right now. Don't tell on yourself. And please, if you brought someone, don't nudge them and say, I told you you had to be here. No, no, this message is for you. Listen closely, friend. Ask yourself this question. How do I deal with pressures? How are you actually dealing with pressures? Do they bring up the best in you? The best of your faith? Do they lead you to a place where you can pray and worship instead of pray and worship your problems? <laughs> right? We have to learn how to press on. And so the first point that I want to propose to you for consideration and reflection, that we would take this and that we would actually begin to apply it, is that you and I can't press on. You can't press on if your eyes are not on the prize. Paul and Silas saw well beyond the pressure that they were enduring. They saw well beyond it. The Bible tells us that Paul was an apostle. That he was a sent one. Right? He was devoted to leading people to Jesus wherever he went. He was always looking for the opportunity to serve God and to serve people. This was a man that lived with his eyes on a prize. This was his prize. He understood, this is what I'm called for. And you might say, well, I'm not an apostle. You, listen, everyone's a saint. We all bear witness to what Jesus has done in our life. And if that's not you, friend, then let this be a witness to you. There's a, there's a better way to press on despite, in spite of the, the ways you've done it. It's with God. Amen? Come on, we can thank God for that, right? So listen, here's the thing, right? Paul was a sent one, just like us. You may be sent as a mother. You may be sent as a business owner. You might be sent as a father. You might be sent as an encourager. You might be sent as a solution in your workplace, in your community. We're all sent. And Paul was devoted to that. And so when Paul found himself pressed upon, when he found himself in a place of torture and beaten and stripped and publicly shamed, Paul was able to press on, but why? It was because Paul was functioning in his assignment. What am I saying? Paul was living in such a manner that was aligned with the prize that God had for him. And I'm going to tell you why that's powerful. Because when we align ourselves, when we live with an eye on the prize, friends, powerful things happen. Think of it this way. 
Why do you put up with all the pressures and all the problems that you endure week after week in your workplace? Why do you keep going back? Why do you keep dealing with these people? Why do you keep subjecting yourself to all this high pressure, and, and, and these high pressure environments? Why? Because you have a prize called a paycheck. And because your eyes are on the paycheck, guess what you do? You don't just put up with it. You find ways to get through it. You're motivated to such an extent that you press on despite the pressure. You push back on the pressure. Friends, this is not just something that we can do practically. This is a spiritual truth. This is a God-given tool that you and I can deploy into our lives. Now, in Roman culture, in Roman Greco culture, honor was something that was highly prized. It was highly prized. And the thing is that honor in those days wasn't something that was given to you. No, honor was something that you took. Honor was reserved for those that imposed themselves in, Rem in Roman Greco culture. Honor was, was, was reserved for those who fought mighty battles and conquered and destroyed people. Honor was reserved for those who by brute force established themselves and said, I demand honor. Those were the people that were honored in Roman Greco culture. Why, why am I sharing that with you? Because this was the reason why in those days people would do some of the most atrocious things. This is why people would subject themselves to competitions before great crowds and fight to the death because to lose your honor in battle, I'd rather die than do that. So, my point with that is simply this. When the prize is ultimately what you have your eyes on, when you prioritize it, the truth is that the pressures of life will not overcome us. Why? Because the pressures of life aren't the problem when your eye is on the prize. It's worth pressing towards. You're unwilling to give up. You're unwilling to give up. And you know, we all have prizes in our eyes. For some of us, it's money. For some of us, it's children. For some of us, it's people. For some of us, it's possessions. For some of us, it's status. It's whatever it is. But could it be that maybe, just maybe, your eyes might be on the wrong prize? Let me tell you how you know when your eyes are on the wrong prize. When the pressure pushes you to do things that go against God's will. My God. Think about that. You got to chew on that. That was free. Right? Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 16. We're going to read to verse 18. And this is where we're going to kind of land. This, this is kind of where we're going to pull from for the next couple of moments. They're from the words of the Apostle Paul. He starts off by saying, therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. We do not falter. We do not retreat. We don't go backwards. He says we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing. Watch this. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So watch this, this renewal. 
this strength that we need to press on is something that has to happen first within. So how does that happen? Verses uh, 17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Look at three people and tell them, you're going to make it. Tell somebody else you're going to make it. Hey, friend, you online, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Why? Because these afflictions, not only are they temporary, but in light of God's power, they're light. They're light. So he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, in other words, we're not fixing our eyes on what's happening, happening in the temporal realm. We're not being moved by temporary problems. How many of you know problems come, the problems also go? Right? How many of you know hard times come, that hard times also go? Right? How many of you know that it might be difficult today, but that difficulty would eventually go, right? They come and they go. And so he tells us, we do not set our eyes on things which are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. They are eternal. They are eternal. Friends, here's a practical application in regards to what we're talking about. To win the day, to win today, to win in this moment, to actually be careful about how we're living right now in this moment and partner with God so that tomorrow actually comes the hope, the strength, the peace, the provision. Whatever God has in store for you to get there, friends, we have to fix our eyes on what is unseen. You know what anxiety and fear is? Let, let me give you a working definition of what fear and anxiety is. Of what crumbling in the face of pressure is all about. It's faith backwards. It's faith backwards. We are putting faith in the problem. We are putting faith in the circumstances. And friends, what it's doing is it's not helping us win the day. It's helping us lose it. But you know what happens when faith works backwards? You can't move forward. And friends... You can't expect God's best tomorrow. It's a sobering truth. It's a sobering truth. So to win the day, we must fix our eyes on what is unseen. What's unseen? Well, for one, God. He's always there. He's always present. He always cares. The scripture says that he's working all things for your good. In other words, God is always working for your better results. God is always present and doing good things. The problem is we take our focus off of God. We take our focus off of the truth. You know what else is in the unseen? 
what he has in store for us tomorrow. Let me ask you a question. In the face of challenges, if all you focused on was what the scripture says, for example, I can do this. I can do all things because Christ is my strength. Right? I can do this because God promises me that there's hope and there's a certain future for me. I can do this because greater is he within me than he that is within the world. I can do this because the scripture declares that he has made everything that I set my hands to, to prosper. I can do this because even when I'm unfaithful, he's faithful, right? I can do this because he, he declares that with long life, he satisfies me, right? I can do this because he's called me into his family, right? And he's provided me resources, a body that supplies for my needs and we supply for each other and I'm growing. I can do this. What if all you did was fix your eyes on that? I'm going to tell you what would happen. Cats would become cans. You would believe in the midst of impossibilities. And I guarantee you, while some of those things might not happen, you'll begin to see better results because you've made room for God to work. The scripture says that faith is the evidence of things unseen. It's the evidence of things unseen. It's the substance of things. And again, I'm sorry, it's the evidence of things unseen and it's the evidence of the things we hope for. Amen? So we should fix our eyes well beyond the present pressures. Could it be that for that reason, some of us might be struggling? Where are your eyes fixed, friends? Right? The next point I want to propose to you for reflection and application is that to press on, you and I must let go of what presses upon us. To press on, you must let go of what presses upon you. You know, one of the things that presses upon us is what's behind us. Paul says that though he had not arrived, he took hold of his prize. How? He said this one, and he had not taken hold of his prize yet. He says, this one thing I do. The one thing he did, he says, is he forgot the past. He forgot the past. You know why that's so powerful? Because the past kills tomorrow's promise. The past will kill tomorrow's promise because you bring the past into today and you live in yesterday. There's no way to move forward that way. It reminds me of a story I heard of a, a young man named Jacob. He lived in a small village. And this guy was haunted by his past mistakes. He lived with guilt and all the shame that came along with them. And no matter what he did, he just couldn't shake off the feeling of worthlessness and shame. He just couldn't break free from feeling like a failure. So one day, the story says that Jacob decided to take a walk to a nearby forest to kind of clear his mind. And as he walked deeper into the woods, he comes across an old man. And this old man was sitting by a stream. And the man noticed that Jacob was somewhat troubled. His expression said a lot that something was bothering him. So he asked him, what's bothering you? What's going on? And Jacob began to pour his heart out to this man and tell him about all the mistakes he had made. 
and how they weighed heavenly on his mind. And the man, he listened patiently, quietly. And then he said, Jacob, your past may be a part of who you are and where you are today, but it does not have to define you. The life you have ahead of you holds promise for a new story. So Jacob was intrigued by this man's words, and so he asked him for some guidance. And the man, instead of giving him guidance, gave him a small seed. And he said to him, plant this seed, tend to it with love, and watch it as it grows into a strong and beautiful tree. Think of the tree in relation to your new beginning as it pertains to the hope and the renewal that God wants to work in your life. And so Jacob followed the man's instructions and he planted the seed. And every day he would visit the spot where the seed was planted and he took care of it. He watered it. He made sure that it was safe from harm. And over time the seed sprouted into a young sapling. And then eventually into a strong and majestic tree. As he watched the tree grow, Jacob realized that he too was growing and changing. The tree became a focal point for his progress, for his new life. It was one that began the process of setting him free from the burden of his past. See, from that day on, Jacob lived a life full of purpose, full, full, filled with purpose and joy. He no longer let his past mistakes define him, and instead, listen to this, he devoted himself to tending to what the future held. Jacob continued to tend to the tree, and it became a source of inspiration, not just for him, but for everyone in the village who saw it. In the end, Jacob learned that the past may play a part in shaping us, but it does not have to control us. Listen, friends. Listen to why I share this with you. When we take possession of the ability to press into a brighter future, to overcome our past and become the person that God created us to be, Here's what it looks like. Instead of tending to your past and nurturing your past and watering your past and caring about your past, you shift to tending to the promise that the future holds, to nurturing what it reveals to you, to watering it and caring it and filling yourself with the vision that it provides. Friends, when you tend more towards the future, You'll always overcome the past. You'll break free from what the past tells you. Romans 8.12 says this. Somebody needs to hear this. I'm sorry, 8.1 and 2 says this. So now there is no what? Condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Listen to what it goes on saying. Because you belong to him. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You want freedom? Why not fix your focus and start tending on what the future holds instead of holding on to what the past has told you? See, this is where change begins to happen. When you let go of the past, it sets you free 
to step into the future, which leads me to our final point. It takes pressure to make progress. This is important because sometimes what we try to do is run from pressure. We want life without pressure. I'm not saying that we should go and create some pressure for ourselves. And I'm not saying that we should subject ourselves to some of the pressure that people create because we allow them in our lives. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that there's actually going to be pressure in anything that we press towards. And we have to reconcile this in our minds and in our hearts and accept this truth. There is no progress without facing pressure. We have to face it. We have to press through. Paul said that though he had not arrived, and though he had let go of the past, listen to what the scripture says. He says, I strain ahead. I press ahead towards the prize that Christ has for me. What does that tell us, friends? It tells us that we have to face pressure. It's interesting that when he says that he strained ahead, that he pressed ahead, it's literally speaking of enduring through suffering for a moment. Suffering for a moment. The greatest pressures that we'll face as we press on, as we look to win every day, to grow, to mature, to excel, to follow God. Friends, those pressures that come in the face of that are not external. They hold the appearance of the external. But how many of you know that pressure is all about internal response? They're not external pressures. They're internal. Listen, you and I cannot blame anyone else for the pressures we face. Why? Because we create the pressure by how we respond. How we respond. Hence, to break free, we have to apply greater pressure from within that presses upon the things that are pressing us from without. Hear where I'm coming from with this. This is where worshiping God becomes a weapon. Watch this. Paul and Silas are in a high-pressure cooker. Everything is going wrong. Everything. Everything. In this moment, it appears they've lost their ministry. They've lost their influence. They've lost the opportunity available to them to reach people. They're beaten. They're stripped. They're sore. They're mocked. They've been ridiculed. They're shamed before all. And watch what these guys do. They pray and they worship. They pray and they worship. Let me tell you why worship is a weapon. Because worship refocuses our worry. 
Listen to what worship does. Worship takes your eyes off of your worries and centers them upon the God that we worship. It gives you a different perspective. When we worry, we're down here. We're down here. We're focusing on problems. And don't miss this. As we're focusing on problems, we're also bowing to them. We're bowing to them. But when you lift your eyes to where your help comes from, when you begin to focus on God and you begin to realize, well, God, you're still here. And God, your hand is not short that you can't work on my behalf. And God, you said that the good work you started in me, you shall complete. And God, you gave me a promise that I would raise these children to be a man and woman after your heart. And God, you gave me the promise that I would succeed. You opened the door for me to step into this opportunity. God, you gave me this family. God, you gave me this job. God, you gave me this influence. When pressure comes and you begin to look to God and you begin to worship God and you begin to trust in God and you begin to exalt God, you know what happens? Not only do you lift up God, it lifts you up. So instead of worshiping your problems, worship your God. Jesus put it this way. You can't have two masters. What you worship masters you. Stop worshiping your problems. I love the words of Jesus as we close here. In Matthew chapter 6, 34, he says, refuse to worry about tomorrow. Refuse to worry about tomorrow. But deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Instead of worrying about tomorrow, why not worship God today? Why not worship God through the storms? Why not fix your focus on the greater one? See, the scripture tells us clearly that the greater one is in us. But you know what? The greater one is in us. Because when we worship the greater one in us, it creates pressure upon the things that are trying to press upon us. And the only way to overcome pressure is to apply greater pressure. Why not begin to raise your praise? Why not begin to stand on the promises of God? Why not take strength, take courage, stand strong and determine I'm going to make it because God is for me. Who can be against me? Come on and stand to your feet and give God some praise this day. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. There are no losers in your house, Lord. You tell us something powerful, Lord, in your word. You say that the righteous, the righteous man, the righteous man, he falls. He falls seven times. But you declare that he gets back up. We are a people that get back up. 
We will not succumb to pressure. We will crush it. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.